Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Welcome back, Renegades. Welcome, Renegades. Well, we have another awesome guest this week to learn about some specialty in wellness. And this is a cool one. I'm excited. And this, I've never experienced this before, but Eleni has. I'm, I'm excited. Yes, so we have my acupuncturist on with us today, mm. Alice Spitzer Clausen. So glad to have you on. And um, yes, Alice has been my acupuncturist for almost two years, almost two years. And before her, I had limited experience with acupuncture, but it has really opened my eyes to the amazing powers of what acupuncture can do and what traditional Chinese medicine can do. So I'm really excited to have Alice on today to talk with our listeners all about acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, because I might be biased, but I think it should be a part of everybody's life because it's really helped me out so much in my life with so many things. So we get to talk all about that today. That's awesome. I want to learn so much more about this. This is awesome. Um, Okay, let's get into stories here. Alice, we're so glad to have you here. Can you tell us? Thank your, you. Yeah. Can you tell us your story? How did you end up in the field of acupuncture in Chinese medicine? Um, I was originally going to go to medical school and uh, applied to a bunch of schools, as you do. And I got waitlisted at one uh, and then didn't make it. And so I had a choice at that point. I was offered some jobs as a medical assistant um, or I could travel and I chose to travel. So um, it just opened my eyes up to just different ways of being in the world. And then I worked as a medical assistant for a family practice physician and realized mostly what family practice GPs do is um, prescribe pharmaceuticals. Mm. I don't have anything against pharmaceuticals. I'm glad to have Western medicine, but it wasn't what I wanted to do for my career. I wanted to do something more hands-on and more patient-centered. Um, so instead of applying to acupuncture, I mean, excuse me, medical school, I looked at alternative uh, med, um, forms of medicine and Chinese medicine is a complete medical system. You can treat a wide range of issues. Um, I happened to be living in Boulder, Colorado at the time, so I could go to school for it and um, you can make a living doing it, which, you know, it's important to be able to pay the rent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right, <laughs> right, right. That's awesome. Um, for that, where, how long did it take to do your schooling and what did it kind of look like? Sure. So um, I did a four-year program in three years. It was an accelerated program, 2,900 hours. Um, yeah. Most of the programs these days are, um, yeah, it's a master's. It's technically a master's, but it's considered a trade master's. So if I like went to university, I would consider to have a bachelor's, not a master's. Um, so just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but these days it's about 3,000 hours, usually four years of schooling. Um, I mean, it looks pretty much like any other school, like you know, you go to class, you have didactic classes where you go to lecture, you take notes, you're tested, and then clinicals, you know, where you're supervised in clinic, you treat patients, and then you discuss it in groups afterwards. So, I mean, pretty standard training that way. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, there is not like an internship or residency program. So once oh. you graduate, you're kind of thrown in the deep end. Um, oh, you're wow. given a practice management class, one, one practice management <laughs> yeah. class. Um, and then... Uh, and, and then you graduate and you're out in the world. And on the coast, if you're on East Coast or West Coast, you can often get a job. You can work like in a chiropractic clinic or you can, some hospitals will hire you fertility clinics. 
Um, but in the middle of the country, it's not as accepted. So oftentimes then you're an independent practitioner or a business owner. And that was not something I really thought through when I went to school was <laughs> that in order to be a licensed acupuncturist, I was also going to be after a small business owner. Um, so and oftentimes what makes you a good healthcare practitioner does not necessarily make you a good, good business person. Mm. So that's been a whole nother skill set I developed um, unexpectedly. <laughs> like a sink or swim right there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and unfortunately, you often, you know, and when I first started, um, I've been in practice 19 years. Um, I mean, there was Internet, but it's not like now. So, you know, nowadays you just go online and look shit up. Oh, yeah, excuse me. <laughs> look stuff up. Yeah, yeah. And, you can guess on here. It's okay. It's fine. We do. <laughs> um but it was a little bit harder back then it was still you know so i did a lot of trial and error um sometimes expensive trial and error when you forget to file taxes for a while um <laughs> yep. so but i mean no i did eventually so I like yeah, yeah. Um, I just... <laughs> been there no worries so, uh, that's funny yeah so um, what then what brought you to iowa um, I'm from the western suburbs of Chicago originally, and um, I wanted to be closer to my family than Boulder, Colorado, um, but I didn't want to move back to the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And I have a good friend that lives here in Corville, and I'd been visiting her on and off for the 10 years before I moved here. And so I knew this area was a good area for uh, Chinese medicine. It's a university town. The, um, it's a pretty progressive population, and they're just weren't and still aren't many practitioners in the state of Iowa. Where I came from in Boulder is really saturated with practitioners. Wow. So yeah. I wanted to go somewhere where I could um, teach, educate instead of market. That's why I'd rather put my energy towards education than marketing. Wow. Um, so, yep, it's three and a half hours from my folks in Naperville, Illinois. Um, I was self-supporting within a year and I had friends here to start with. So it just seemed like a good fit. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Well, we are lucky to have you. That's awesome. I'm also picturing the schooling portion and, and the students like having to practice acupuncture on each other. Did you ever do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> when we um, like our first practicum class, when we learned how to needle, yeah, you practice on each other. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting. Yeah, right. Um, it's interesting with acupuncturists, we often fall into two camps, like either you love being needles and like big needles, lots of stimulation, or they hate it. Um, and I unfortunately fall into that camp. I don't like being needles, ironically enough. Um, I'm very sensitive. I get very strong, dutchy sensation. Mm. Um, and so it's not my favorite. But, you know, there's a lot more to Chinese medicine than acupuncture. So it's not like a deal breaker. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, awesome. I, that's it. That's what something I was going to bring up too, that I'm a little scared of the needle and I um, am definitely like needle sensitive too. So, but you are too. Okay. That's fair. So yeah, very much so. Sorry. No, I was just going to say like, we should get into that for our listeners who are not familiar with it. What is acupuncture? Mm -hmm. And when you talk about needles, what yep. do you mean? Yep. Um, and how does acupuncture work and what does it accomplish in the body? Mm -hmm. That's a big question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Um, okay, we need to break that question down now because I lost track. So what it, we'll start, start with what one. is acupuncture? Let's go there. Okay, let's start with what is acupuncture. Okay, so acupuncture is just one part of Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine is a complete medical system. It's the second most used medical system in the entire world next to Western medicine. Wow. Um, it's written history 
goes back to 200 BC, um, the Huangdi Neijing. They're not quite sure when it was written, but it was anywhere from 200 BC to 200 AD. So that's written history. Um, they found needles um, that were over a thousand years old um, that were made out of bone or bronze. Um, so they know people have been using a form of Chinese medicine um, and the meridian system for well over 2000 years. Uh, so acupuncture is just one aspect of this larger healthcare system. And so Chinese medicine is just a different way of looking at the body, and a different way of interpreting um, harmonies in the body, health, what ill health is caused by, and what to do to rectify it in the system. And so needles are used um, on points on what's called the meridian system. And the meridian system is energy pathways throughout the body. Um, they are not associated with any anatomical structures, so they're not associated with the nervous system. They're not associated with the circulatory system. It's its own um, pathways. Wow. They, uh, you can't see them, so you can't see them if you were to dissect out a cadaver. You're not going to find meridians, but you can detect them through electromagnetic fields. So it's a stronger electromagnetic field along the meridians than um, off of the meridians. And so, and then in, from the Chinese. Um, perspective, energy, or what they call qi, um, travels through this meridian system, and qi is the motive force in the system. Qi is what moves blood through the veins, it's what moves food through the digestion, and what moves the lungs in and out um, is all due to qi. And so then what the acupuncturist does is the needle then um, influences the flow of qi at certain points along the meridians. So by needling or using pressure, acupressure, some people use flower essences or essential oils um, on the points. All of it will then um, stimulate or redirect the energy at that point. And then by doing so, you affect change in the body. So that's, that's awesome. Eastern Blown my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's and I, incredible. I will just say as like a testimony to it, the, I can't remember at what point in my care with Elsa experienced this, but I was having pain in one part of my body, can't remember what it was, and Alice put ne needles in a completely different part of my body and was like, okay, check in with it now, you know, and I think it was like neck pain or something and I moved my head and the neck pain was totally gone and the needles weren't anywhere near it. And I was like, what is this? Why what did that work? <laughs> Magic. Wow. That so that's the meridian systems are legit. That's, that was a really cool experience. That's really cool. I do a lot with horses and my um, horse lady is, I call her the magician. She does, I've never heard of that meridian, but my lady says that and she's like, so she'll do the horse down the meridian line and the horse is just like, ah, like just so happy. <laughs> and that's really neat that you said that here. Cause I'm like, that's the only time I've heard of it. And you, I think you're both magicians. So this is, <laughs> that's really, this, this is mind blowing. I'm, I'm here to learn. This is great. So what can acupuncture accomplish within the body? I think you partially answered this question, but if you could just expand on it a little bit more. So what can it treat in the body or what does it do in the body? What exactly does it do in the body? And then we'll get into what does it treat? Mm. Sure. So acupuncture adjusts the energy or it redirects or changes the flow of the energy. So acupuncture just works with the energy that's already available in the body. It's not going to force the body in any direction it doesn't want to go in. It's, so it's just working with the natural healing aspects of what's already present. Um, so depending on what you're treating, pain is one of the more common things um, and most studied issues um, for acupuncture. In Chinese medicine, when there's pain, it means energy and blood aren't free flowing through an area. Um, it means that there, for some reason it's stagnated, it's stopped, it's just not moving through the area the way it should. 
all different kinds of reasons for that to occur. So then you use the needles to reestablish free flow. So by addressing the meridians, it can be the meridian it's on or complementary meridians, you get that stagnation to move so that the pain goes away. You can kind of think of it like, you know, like Drano when you have a clog and then you use something to remove that clog. And then the needles kind of work in that way. It just makes the energy move through that area in a, the way it's supposed to. And then that pain's going to dissipate because there's no longer stagnation there to cause discomfort. Oh, and then from a wow. Western point of view, <clears throat> they're not positive how acupuncture works, but they do know from a Western point of view that it increases circulation to an area and it also releases endorphins and it will change brain chemistry. So it will also change the release of neurotransmitters. So they think that's the, the mechanism behind how acupuncture works for pain. Hmm. Wow. Cool. <laughs> this is cool. This is definitely cool. So the concept is like that our bodies are made to heal and it's kind of life, like life will push itself if you allow it. So then it's just kind of getting back to your own life's healing energy, sort of. Is that sort of? Yeah. So the life, your, your body wants to be in balance. That's what okay. it's always striving for. Okay. So I always like to tell patients, like, your body's not out to get you. It doesn't actually want to cause you pain. It isn't actually working against you or out to get you. Okay. Um, it feels like that sometimes. Yeah. But it's actually always and consistently working towards homeostasis. It's always working to get back in balance. Um, so any pathology that you have or symptomology that you have, is your body working to get you back to balance? And those symptoms, those signs then give me um, ideas or give me clues on how is the body out of balance? Like, where does it need some help to get rebalanced? I don't heal anybody. All I do is help the body remember how to heal itself. Cool. Oh, cool. This is that. super cool. I so love it. So can you tell us about the five pillars of traditional Chinese medicine? Yeah. So... That's kind of arbitrary, depending. It's not like that's like set in stone. Some people will say there's six pillars or there's four pillars. Um, but I like that was the one I was taught in school. So it's sure. just easy for explanation purposes. And so the five pillars of Chinese medicine are just the ways that Chinese medicine will use to address the body to help bring it back into balance. Um, ac um, acupuncture and moxibustion is one of the most well known. And then um, Chinese herbal medicine and nutrition falls into that as well. Uh, and then physical manipulation um, in Chinese medicine is called Tui Na, is therapeutic massage. Um, but massage would fall under that. Chiropractic health would fall under that. Um, exercise, so physical exercise or meditation is the fourth. And then the fifth is feng shui, which most people are familiar with. Doesn't mean that you actually have to hire a feng shui consultant, though some people find it helpful. But feng shui just meaning your environment. So how healthy is your environment? Do you, does your house have mold in it? Um, do you need an air purifier, uh, you know, is your house cluttered? Can you not move around? All those things are environment and will play into your health as well. Hmm. Interesting. This is awesome. The holistic approach is awesome. Um, do you do the massage one as well? I don't, no, I'm okay. not a trained um, um, massage therapist uh, or tweena, but there's some folks in town that do. So it's often something that I will refer out. Okay. And in China, um, in China, if you do traditional medicine, you don't do all three. Like they okay. either pick one. They do body work, so they do Twina, um, maybe Qigong, um, or they do acupuncture moxibustion, or they do Chinese herbal medicine. 
they don't do all on a whole they don't do all three okay. they because they, they're, they're such big topics okay um but twina in china is therapeutic massage it's not like western it's not like something you go to to relax and like chill out yeah. it's not always comfortable because it's more about like getting things to release and relax and it also incorporates spinal manipulation so twina in china will incorporate like chiropractic work it's but you can't in the u.s um it's not doesn't fall under their certification Oh, do you, now, that's, do you do the herbal as well? Is that right? I do. Okay. That's what you see behind me. Okay, the wall of goodies here. Yeah, I've seen some of Eleni's um, tinctures that she's oh, yeah. she does. And sometimes Kay is here in the morning, and I'm making like yep. a tea. They don't always smell great, but if they're good for <laughs> you. I'm here for it. No, they don't. Um, that's something that people really struggle with for mm. sure. That I would have to say that's the biggest stumbling block um, I have with patients in, in herbal medicine is it doesn't taste good for the most part. Sometimes it does. I mean, oftentimes that's how I know I'm on the right track with formulas. Patient will say, oh, that really tastes good or I really enjoy taking it. Not always, but sometimes. And then um, I know I need to change the formula when they're like, oh, it doesn't taste good anymore. I don't like it. And I'm like, okay, the pattern shifted. I need to change the formula. Um, but I mean, up until about 100, 150 years ago, all medicine tasted bad. <laughs> this idea that medicine didn't taste, doesn't taste, taste mm -hmm. is relatively new. I mean, that's really just in the past 50, 75 years. Um, before that, like, you know, aspirin was a powder. You put it in water and you drank it. It wasn't a tablet. Mm -hmm. um, there were syrups and, you know, things. But, um, yeah, the stuff I use, I have bulk herbs, which is what you see over here in the jars. That's the actual herb material. And then those are granulated herbs behind me. Those are in a powder, which is the most commonly used because you just add hot water and drink it. So it's a little bit easier for folks. Um, but they don't taste good. And some folks, <coughs> excuse me, some folks get over it. They tolerate it. They take it. They see the benefit. Yep. And then other folks, it's a deal breaker. They're like, I can't do this. I, I the compliance is poor. They don't get it in their system. And so if possible, then I'll switch them over to tablets, okay. um, which don't obviously don't taste because they can just swallow them down. Yeah. But then with herbal medicine, again, people are used to with Western medicine, like you take a little tiny tablet, like you need like five milligrams or 10 micrograms of uh, active ingredients and you're good for like eight hours or 24 hours. And when you're working with herbal material, you need to take a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, you know, you need to take, I mean, if I'm working with bulk herbs, I'm looking at 50 grams a day of bulk herb material. Um, you know, so tablets, you're looking at anywhere from 10 to 18 tablets a day. Wow. So people aren't used to wow. taking that amount. But that's often why I think people think herbal medicine doesn't work because they don't take enough of it. So like you can't take two tablets twice a day and expect to treat an acute issue. Um, so, and sometimes they'll even do that in herbal studies when they're doing um, like double blind placebo studies. Depending on who's um, funding the study, mm -hmm. if they don't want good results, they will purposely underdose, and Ooh. so then they can report poor, poor results. Yeah. Oh wow, that sounds about right. Yeah, that <laughs> does still... sound right. Wild. Um, can you Wild. tell us a little bit about how the herbal medicine can complement acupuncture? Sure. So um, everything has its you know pros and cons or has their what they're good at. And acupuncture is very good at moving energy and releasing energy. It's not so great at adding energy into the system. And that's really where herbal medicine can come in is it is very good at building up the system, tonifying issues. Um, also, herbal medicine is you take it on a daily basis. And so it's treatment that you're getting daily. 
where in the United States, acupuncture is usually something people will get once a week, maybe every other week. Um, traditionally in China, people get treated daily or every other day oh, for wow. like wow. 10 to 14 days. So yeah, so people will like travel from smaller towns into the bigger cities and they will, excuse me, stay there so that they can get like a two week course of treatment where they go in daily for treatment. So with the U.S. doing this like once a week kind of thing, that's very different. That's kind of um, a newer way of using the medicine. And sometimes if I have someone in acute pain, I'll have them come twice a week. And different practitioners will do it a different way where they'll have them come in two or three times a week to start and then start spacing the treatments out. Um, wow. But so that's where herbal medicine sometimes is more effective because you'll get your treatment on a more regular basis. Um, so would you say to use acupuncture to sort of like cure something and then you're there for like, you said like seven to 14 days, but maybe like you're like, um, come in and we're going to do this for six months to a year, or is it more just like, like a lifestyle choice or how do you determine how often they come and how long they would come? Or what do you think? For my patients? Your patients. Yeah. Here in the States. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so usually how I like to start is I'll see patients once a week for three weeks um, so I can kind of get a um, grasp of um, why they're coming in, how they're going to respond to treatment, and what's the best way to treat them. Mm-hmm. Unless it's acute pain, um, then I'll see them sometimes twice a week if I think it's necessary. And then once I see how a patient responds to treatment, then we can kind of determine if we want to continue with the weekly um, or if we want to spread them out every other week, every three weeks. Um, some folks, their issues resolve after... Uh, somewhere anywhere from two to six treatments. And so then they just call me if they need me. And then some patients, it's a chronic issue. And then we figure out a maintenance plan, how often they, we need to space the treatments to maintain results. And that's usually anywhere from three to 12 weeks. Um, and then if I'm treating um, in women's health, if I'm treating menstrual issues or fertility issues, um, then that's a little bit different. Then I uh, schedule those appointments according to the menstrual cycle. Oh, yeah. Oh, so interesting. And I love how your care is so individualized to the person and how they're responding and the biofeedback. Like, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So tell us what sorts of things, since we mentioned it before, what sorts of things, what conditions can acupuncture and the herbs help with? Um, as I mentioned before, it is a complete medical system. So it can treat just about anything. Um, there's some issues that, of course, you're just better off going with Western medicine. You break your arm, you have a heart attack, any acute stuff, definitely Western medicine. You know, you have an infection. You Western medicine excels at acute um, medicine, acute yeah. traumatic medicine is definitely where it shines. Um, where Western medicine kind of falls down a little bit is for chronic issues, for chronic and especially functional issues. Functional issues are ones that um, have symptomology, but they don't have biomarkers. So like you're like irritable bowel syndrome is one that's super common that doesn't have um, there's no uh, there's no tissue changes. You can't do an endoscopy and see IBS. You can't there's no blood markers for it. And so Western medicine really struggles to treat those kinds of issues. Fibromyalgia is another one that's like that. And that's where Chinese medicine really excels. Um, And so. I treat a lot of digestive issues. I treat a lot of women's health. I treat um, pain is probably the most common thing that I treat. Um, insomnia, headaches, anxiety, depression. Uh, yeah, a little bit of everything. <laughs> the whole gamut. That's awesome. Wow. And I will say, you know, I see, I like to get my acupuncture treatments weekly. I see Alice weekly because I just feel so good afterwards. Like I look forward to that appointment 
every week. (laughs) It just is like there's something, my mood feels better afterwards. My energy feels better afterwards. My body feels energized and like electrified and awake. And during my appointments, I'm so relaxed. Sometimes I'll fall asleep. And it's just like overall, I always feel that it does so much healing Mm. for my body that even if I don't have something specific that week, I always want to maintain those weekly appointments because I feel so good. <laughs> You're like, totally worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Um, so we do talk a lot about digestion. What are some of the traditional Chinese medicine views on digestion and issues with digestion? How do how does how do you look at that from a traditional Chinese medicine perspective? Sure. So um, Chinese medicine finds digestion to be actually really important, kind of the center of everything. If your digestion is not functioning correctly, you want to address that first because nothing else is going to work. Um, in Chinese medicine, there's only two ways to get energy into your system once you've been born, once you're on the earth. Um, you only get energy through breathing and eating. So how you intake your air and how you intake your food is the only way that you're going to get energy. And so since most people don't do structured breathing exercises, really your digestion, their intake of food is your primary uh, method of getting energy into the system. And then your body uses that energy to create blood, to create chi, to create muscle. So it's pretty imperative that your um, digestion works smoothly. Um, And so working with that, then there's, you know, um, I always like to work with lifestyle first. So before giving herbs or anything, and my, my first go-to is to do lifestyle and, and nutrition. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of real restrictive diets. Um, I don't find patients to be super compliant. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing for me is that eating is not stressful. Um, I think these days people get so in their head about what to eat. And there's so much information out there that they get kind of frozen and they don't know what to do and they're scared to eat anything. Um, and I don't think that's healthy. Um, I also don't think there's one size fits all um, for anybody. I don't think everybody should be vegetarian. I don't think everybody should be giving up gluten. Um, I think it's very um, individual um, to the person. And I think the person themselves is going to be the best judge of what they should be eating. Um, that being said, I mean, I can give guidelines. I can, I've seen over time what's worked for a majority of people. But at the end of the day, I think what's important is people develop a sense of what feels good in their body and what's good for them. Unfortunately, in our culture, we're taught mainly to live above the neck. Um, so we really revere about everything intellectual, everything mental. And we've kind of been taught to disregard anything below the neck. Like we've been dis- to disregard the signs, symptoms, messages that our body is giving us. And we're kind of taught that that's not as important, that just push through and, you know, and you can, you know, I don't know, like have a Lara bar and you'll be fine. Um, so <laughs> I think it's important to develop a sense of what your body wants to eat, what it likes and what feels good in your system. Um, so I always tell my patients what you need to do though is what determine what your body wants and not what your mind, because we tend to eat with our head. And so we need to learn how to eat with our body and what it's telling us what we want. That being said, one of the um, biggest things I tell patients that they find most surprising is Chinese medicine is not a huge fan of cold foods. So raw foods, Mm -hmm. foods that are eaten cold out of the refrigerator, ice in the drinks, um, things that are really common in U.S., especially um, considered super healthy. So like smoothies, um, salads, 
you know, yogurt and, you know, fresh fruits, not that fresh food isn't healthy. I'm not saying those things aren't. It's just some people like the raw food movement. There's like a whole movement where all you do is eat raw foods. Um, and that's just completely against all the ideas um, and uh, what Chinese medicine believes in and what I've seen to be uh, helpful over the years. I've had digestive patients where all I have them do is change eating warm, more warm foods instead of cold foods. And it's amazing what a difference it makes. Um, sometimes that's enough. That's all they have to change. And a lot of their digestion issues goes away. Wow. I This time of year, eating more soups just because it feels like fall, you know? And I, I tell you, it feels so good in my body and I love it so much. Um, and also by moving to warm food, I feel like there's less processed foods in that because now you're like cooking and more real food from the earth and it kind of seems to go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it was really yeah. validating the first time we talked about it because I have never been a big fan of raw vegetables or salads, mm. which as I'm, I'm always upfront with people about as a nutritionist because they're like, oh, am I just going to live off of salads? And I'm always like, well, I don't because I don't like that. But I love roasted vegetables, cooked yeah. vegetables. So I remember the first time I was talking with Alice and she was like, well, if your digestion is slow, then cold cold raw vegetables are really hard on your digestion. You need to be eating warm cooked vegetables. It's way easier for your body to digest. And I was like, well, that's what my body wants. That makes yes. me feel so good. I've always felt like I needed to be eating more raw vegetables. Yeah, grab the carrots from the fridge. Yeah, everybody yeah. makes a big deal about how important it is to eat Salads, raw yeah. and cooked. And so I was mostly just eating cooked. So I felt really validated because it turns out I was just kind of listening to my body all along. That's our <laughs> intuition is good. That's awesome. Really? And um, it's important to remember, too, with this medicine being so old, like refrigeration wasn't a thing and neither was like, you know, cross country transit. So people ate what was in season. Like you didn't have a choice. Like this mm-hmm. idea of eating watermelon in January is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, it's not designed to be eaten then. Like that's why, you know, watermelon grows in July and August. It doesn't grow in January and February because watermelon is very cooling and it's very, you know, moistening. And so it's for eating those summer months when we want to, you know, help to, you know, take care of some of that heat. Uh, and so I think that's important for people to think about as well. Like what you're going to want to eat, what your body's going to want, is going to shift with the seasons. Um, so what feels great. Yeah. Now in November, you're maybe not going to want so much from, you know, April or May and to be aware of that as well. I love that. We just did an episode. Yep. The episode we released today um, is all about eating seasonally yep. and locally and why it's important. Yeah. So I love that. Thank you, Alice, for yes. that plug. <laughs> you guys nailed it. <laughs> Yay. Okay. So good. Oh, let's see here. Uh, maybe go to 10. Yes. Okay. Let's discuss women's health and cycle health. I really like your vo- viewpoint on a healthy menstruation cycle and what it would look like. Can you share that with us? What does an unhealthy cycle look like and how can acupuncture help address that issue? Um, so I treat a lot of women's health. It's one of my favorite things to treat. Um, Western medicine, I think, gives short shrift to women or has historically mm-hmm. um, kind of just downplayed their concerns and issues. And there's this idea in Western medicine as well, especially around uh, menstrual health, that a certain amount of discomfort is normal and to be expected. So like a certain level of cramping, clotting, bleeding, PMS um, is just considered par for the course. And Chinese medicine does not see it that way. Um, PMS is, I always consider a pathology. 
Um, so, I mean, it, obviously there's different levels of it, you know, so depending how much it affects a woman's life and then cramping as well, like theoretically uh, periods should be pain-free. They shouldn't have cramping. That's not a necessary aspect of it. Wow. Um, bleeding shouldn't be, um, you know, you should have had, ha- um, healthy flow, but not bleeding through pads in half an hour, you know, um, even hourly sometimes is a little bit much. And you um, certainly shouldn't be exhausted during your cycle due to blood loss, then there's something wrong. Um, so those are all things I'll look at if I have, even if someone's not coming in for menstrual issues, if they have a lot of like heavy PMS or heavy cycles or heavy cramping, that's something I'm going to take into account when I'm looking at their whole constitution and pattern, um, because it is considered a pathology in Chinese medicine. Um, so ideally you want a cycle that's like, oh, anywhere from like 27 to 31 days. You don't want it to be super short. In Western medicine, well, it's 25, anything to about 25 to 35 is considered normal in Western medicine. I like to see it between like 27 and 31, ideally. Um, I don't like a lot of spotting. So, um, you know, a little bit of spotting half a day, a day before your period, maybe a day after you end. I think that can be kind of normal. I'm not a huge fan of spotting for like three days beforehand or three days after. I don't want to see my patients bleeding for seven to 10 days of any amount. It's too much. I like to see a cycle of about like three to five days, ideally. Um, and then flow wise, it should be, I mean, you should be filling up a pad every couple hours, every two, three hours. Like some people I'll, I'll treat and they'll be like, oh, all I need is a panty liner. Maybe on my heavy day, two panty liners. And that's not enough. That's a kind of scanty flow that I, I'll pay attention to. But if someone's like, oh, I have to wear a pad with my tampon and change it every hour, that's something I'm going to look at as well. Um, there shouldn't be a whole bunch of clotting, like the blood should be a fresh red color. It should be pretty smooth. It shouldn't be clumpy, clotty, watery, mucousy. Um, it shouldn't have a strong odor to it. I mean, obviously there's an odor, but like it shouldn't smell yeah. like raw meat, shouldn't smell rotten. Those kinds of things is what I'm going to look at. Um, so yeah, so I see those, then I work with a patient to, um, change lifestyle acupuncture around the menses. And um, then sometimes herbal medicine is necessary, but not always. Acupuncture is actually super effective for PMS and cramping. Um, so sometimes that's enough, but, or if not, I'll add an herbal medicine if we think it's necessary. Um, and then what women's medicine also encompassing fertility. I see a whole bunch of fertility patients, um, often because these days um, unexplained infertility is a super common diagnosis and women are kind of left, they don't have a whole lot of options. like. You can do um, an IUI, what's called an interuterine um, insemination. Um, and that's one option, um, but really it goes pretty quickly to like watch dollar clomid, which is to stimulate um, follicle, to stimulate ov- ovulation. Um, whereas Chinese medicine, we're gonna see a lot more subtleties in a woman's cycle and in her um, presentation that maybe Western medicine's gonna miss. And so that maybe they don't, have to go right to um, Clomid or trigger shots um, that I can work with them for a few months and maybe get their cycle back on track so that they don't have to, um, you know, use so much hormone treatment or put them in a better place so that if they do chose to go a Western route, that their body's in a better situation for it. So they'll respond quicker. I'm not against Western medicine. I'm not against assisted um, um, reproductive technology. Um, I just, think there's things you can do to potentiate it so that to work with Western medicine. So women are in a better place for it to work. And so there's not as many side effects from it. Um, 
So yeah, I think there's a lot of things that integrating the two is super helpful. And then um, menopause is also something that women um, often don't get much guidance on. Uh, And menopause is actually still something we don't talk a lot about yet. Like it's still kind of a taboo subject. Um, I've had patients come in and having hot flashes and they don't realize that's what they're having. They think they're anxiety attacks or panic attacks. And um, so they're just not having the education. And then Chinese medicine is actually super effective for working with menopausal and perimenopausal syndrome as well. So helping with like hot flashes, the night sweats, anxiety, the insomnia, um, it can be super helpful with that. So, wow. Yeah, I I have a a question that's good might be hard to answer but um since we're seeing more in the western culture like more pms and more trouble with fertility and more trouble met all this do you this is going to be hard to answer but do, is it just our lifestyles that's contributing to that nutrition our stress our cortisol or is it is it just everything or you know, this is a hard question but you know i what do you think about that or i, I don't know Sure. I think stress plays a huge role um, in a lot of things. I always say stress is the reason I still have a job um, because (laughs) most health issues go back to stress. PMS is um, almost not always, I mean, a huge portion of PMS is stress related. And then there's some, um, there's some folks in the Chinese medical world, authors I've read that consider perimenopausal syndrome, menopausal syndrome to be almost entirely stress-based. If you go to countries, if you look at countries that, um, that uh, venerate aging, where as you age, you're actually respected more that like in Asian cultures in China, in Japan, as you age, like that's a very respectful thing. They take very good care of their elders. And so in countries like that, menopausal syndrome is almost non-existent. It's much less than it is in Western countries. Hmm. So your, um, your attitude towards aging um, how it stresses you out or how you're anxious about it definitely affects how you're going to present during menopause and perimenopause. Um, in Chinese medicine, traditionally, they didn't in the classics. So there is a written, like I mentioned, there's a written history of Chinese medicine all the way 2000 years back. So there's gynecological texts that have been written a thousand years ago. They were very interested in women's health, but there is nothing written on menopause it wasn't such a problem. I mean, and some of that can be lifespan, like, you know, people didn't live as commonly older, but still they didn't write about menopausal syndrome. Um, I don't think it was much of an issue because as you aged, it was, you were respected. So I do think stress plays a huge role in that. Um, Infertility, I find stress plays a huge role in that. So I will say, if you have a woman dealing with infertility, the last thing you want to say to her is just relax. You'll be fine. Trigger. Like I don't recommend that. <laughs> like so, um, but it's still. I mean, you always hear those stories about women who adopt. You know, they've been you know trying for years and they adopt, and then like next year they're pregnant. Um, it's because they relax. You know, I'm yeah. not saying that's the end all be all. I'm not right. saying that you're causing yourself to be infertile. Right, I'm just right. saying it's a, it, it's a huge role. It does play a big role in there. Um, and then I do think nutrition as well can play, you know, a role in like PMS and, you know, just how your body is going to function. But stress is probably the main player. Wow. Yeah, I wish I could take everything you said about especially like period health and what a healthy period looks mm-hmm. like. And I wish we could incorporate that into 
girls sex education classes that they could hear that from the beginning right like what their flow should look like how many days it should be how it should start how it should stop that it should be pain-free because i feel in my personal experiences with western medicine you know i had such bad menstrual cramping for like a decade where I mean, there were days I couldn't get out of bed or I was nauseous or I remember calling my husband one time when he he and I were just dating and I called him in the middle of the night because I was like, I think I need to go to the hospital. Like, I can't even get to the bathroom to throw up. I'm in so much pain. And I remember talking to my doctor about that and she offered to put me on birth control, which I didn't want. Mm -hmm. And then she said, okay, well, if you don't want to do birth control, then just take as much Advil as you need to get through that time. But there was never any discussion about, hey, that's probably not normal. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so I just remember thinking like, I I feel in a lot of my experiences, anytime I've been like, oh, my flow doesn't seem right or my periods don't seem right or I have a lot of PMS, it's like, well, bodies are weird. Everyone's different. That sounds normal. It's actually, like Alice was saying, like not, like any amount of pain is not normal. And I remember when I was going through my nutrition course, and learning about uh, women's health, the book I was reading said, if you have to take any painkillers during a period, that's not normal. Oh. And I was that was the first time I had ever heard that. I had always heard, it's normal, take Advil, take ibuprofen. And it's almost like joked about, you know, on yeah. like TV shows, like PMS yeah. is just, everybody makes light of it or cramping. And it's like, they make it seem like it's almost... Like yeah. it's not this debilitating <laughs> yeah. condition that women have to deal with and it's it's almost made light of and everybody has it and it's fine. And I, when I read that book, I was like, any amount of painkillers is not normal. And here my doctor <laughs> told me I could take as many as I wanted over the course of 24 hours just to get through that and day. And you're dreading one week every month. Yes. Like and missing work and yes, missing school. That's the fourth and, of your life. That, then it's kind of painful that you just get through. And by the way, since seeing Alice, my periods are completely pain-free. So <gasps> I just love saying. that. And this <laughs> is what is so neat about like the Chinese medicine and Alice, your approach here, because it's just like, you're like, oh no, let's get you back to ease. Like, let's get you back to healing like let's and it's just like very flowing and light and loving and it's just like oh wow let's be healed like we can be (laughs) instead of like no take medicine you'll be fine (laughs) like wow that's crazy so tell us is acupuncture appropriate for all ages are there groups it's more appropriate for less appropriate for talk to us a little bit about that it can be i mean well let's see Actual acupunctures. So using needles, um, usually I don't use needles on children until age six or seven. And then it depends on the kid. Um, and it really depends on the parent when you're treating children. If the parent is um, very open to it and not anxious about it, then the child will also not be anxious about it. Um, but if the child is anxious, it's not worth using needles. So I can wait till they're 10 or 11. So I actually have to use needles to be effective. I have to use needles though. Interestingly enough, I treat a teenager that was very needle sensitive and they, um, I could just tell it was, they would keep coming back. Like I could tell it was not their favorite. It was kind of traumatic. And so I just stopped eventually. And now I just use moxibustion with this patient and acupressure and they respond just fine. They're 14 or 15. So even if someone is needle sensitive, if someone is super stressed out about it, it's not worth it. It's not worth the stress the body to use a needle. I'll just use alternate methods. 
Um, but that being said, I used um, what's called a shoni shin, which is a massage technique that uses small tools. And that I've used on children as young as two weeks. And then we'll use all the way up into the teen years if necessary. Um, and then I've treated patients into their 80s, maybe early 90s. So yes, it can be used on any age group, but with caveats, like if somebody is incredibly needle sensitive, if someone's having panic attacks about it, it's not worth it. If somebody is very deficient, very um, fatigued, run down, um, I'm going to use less points. I'm going to use smaller needles and I'm probably going to leave the needles in as long if I choose to needle at all. So yeah, people it works better um, or most effective for is somebody with, you know, a decent amount of energy and isn't going to be stressed out by the needles. Wow. Um, I just had a question while you're talking about kids. I know like ADHD and like hyper and um, what are some of the other things that like kids? Autism spectrum. Yeah, the autism spectrum. Anxiety. Um, and... Yeah. Is that something that you see and can help with in children? Um, I haven't treated ADHD recently. Okay. I treated more of that early on in my practice. I can't say I ever had much success with it, Okay, but that's just me personally. Um, there are other practitioners um, that I've read about, that I know about that have had better success with ADHD so that, um, you know, I'm not going to be good at treating everything. And yeah, so yeah. there's different practitioners for different people. Yeah. Um, but I've not found, but I have treated um, anxiety pretty okay. often and that does respond well. Um, so I've treated that in small children. I've treated it in teenagers and I treat it in adults and that works pretty well. Um, and then with autism, one, you're talking about neurodivergent or non-neurotypical, you got to be, what are you trying to treat? Just because somebody is autistic or neurodivergent doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. Mm -hmm. It just means that they see the world in a different way and that process it in a different way. I think ADHD also falls under that neurodivergent. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with the child or with the person with ADHD. Mm -hmm. I think they process the world differently. And I think our education system is intolerant of that. And oh, so I'm not going to treat a child as a pathology because they don't fit into a system yeah. that isn't a natural system. It's been created and, and curated for it. So yeah. not necessarily that child is a pathology or culture is a pathology. I love that. Understandably, yeah. though, that child needs to function within our community. So to yeah. help them do that. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with medicating a child mm -hmm. to make it easier for them to function in our education system. Yeah. I'm just saying there's not necessarily anything wrong with them to yeah. treat them as being deficient or dysfunctional is yeah. doing them a disservice a lot of d's right there sorry yeah no I, that I philosophy that. is beautiful and i love like kind of leading with love i love that for sure and when a child when a parent's bringing in like a two-week-old to you what what are they typically presenting with um oftentimes either respiratory or digestive issues mm. when you're dealing with a child under the age of six almost every almost all their issues unless it's um congenital all their issues are digestive because um their digestive system their, their bodies are so small and so, and their digestive systems are small, but they have to intake a lot of calories and food. So if there's any obstruction in that digestive system, if something's not moving correctly through it at all, or just a little bit, it's going to back up quickly and cause large problems because there's just not much leeway. So usually that I'll see for like acid reflux, I'll see them for constipation, bloating, um, and then breathing in Chinese medicine, breathing um, and digestion are closely linked when your digestion is not functioning correctly um 
damp, what's called dampness forms in the system. And if that hangs out long enough, it becomes phlegm. And so that's how those digestion and respiratory can be closely uh, linked. So if the digestion's producing phlegm, that phlegm's gonna hang out in the lungs and then the child's gonna have difficulty breathing. And um, especially in young children, their airways are small. So any amount of inflammation or um, congestion is then really going to inhibit their breathing. So that's usually what I see infants for. And it's incredibly effective. I've had really good results. Wow. Wow. I have so many questions in my head about my own. I'm like, okay, (laughs) breathing, can you help me with this? This is this. Um, For breathing, do you have a technique that you help people do like you know, maybe like the four count breathing, or do you have any advice on breathing? Oh, that kind of breathing. So like meditative breathing. Oh yeah. 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 Or what are you? Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. So meditative breathing is a little bit different. So I was discussing like actual, like having like asthmatic, but, um, meditative breathing is something actually I recommend often. Um, it's the quickest way to calm down your system. And since anxiety, stress, and depression is something I see a lot of, um, being um, mindful with your breathing is the quickest way to bring down your um, sympathetic nervous system and kick in your parasympathetic, which is your relaxation system. So if you can just deepen and slow your breath. So I'll often recommend to people just um, like sitting down and taking 10 slow, deep breaths. I try not to get too complicated. It scares people. <laughs> um, and then they don't want to do it because it's, it's too um, yeah. overwhelming. Yep. And I hear all the time, I can't meditate. I can't turn my mind off. I'm really bad at it. I'm like, yeah, everybody's bad at it. We yep. all are bad at it. And it's okay. You don't have to be good at it. The point is that you're trying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the nice thing about breathing, like if you slow down your breath, you know, inhale for five, exhale for 10, that automatically kicks in your parasympathetic, your relaxation system. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to think about it. It just automatically calms down your system. So yeah, I'll often recommend five in or uh, what they call it, square breathing, um, you know, four in, hold for four, four out, hold for four. Mm-hmm. Um, in the yogic tradition, they believe that if you increase the exhale, it's more relaxing, which is upheld by Western medicine. It does have a stronger effect on the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, so if possible, yeah, I do encourage people to do like the five and the 10. Um, and then if people are interested, I can give them specific exercises. Um, you know, there's, oh, the popular one is, uh, I'm gonna forget the numbers now four, six, seven. Um, there's one of them you in for four, you hold for six, you exhale for seven. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. pretty easy. Yeah. Easy to find on the internet. Um, so, but yeah, there's no end to breathing exercises that you can do. Okay. I love it. All of it. Okay. And with your practice, what sort of, um, success stories do you have? What's your favorite kind of your bread and butter? Um, well, pain is definitely my bread and butter. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I, it's, I mean, I, I enjoy treating pain. It's not that I don't, um, but I enjoy internal medicine to me is more interesting than pain. Um, that being said, it's not like I'm going to turn it away mm-hmm. and it is very, um, satisfying because oftentimes with pain, you get such immediate results. Like mm-hmm. I've often had patients like with lumbar spasms, low back spasms that were, they can't walk. They can hardly stand up straight when they walk in my office and then they leave walking just fine, standing up straight. So that's very gratifying to, to treat that, you know, as Eleni mentioned, like, you know, with neck pain, I can get that to oftentimes just, you know, immediately. And people are always amazed. They're like, because Western medicine teaches us that like, it's going to be gradual. You're going to use these muscle relaxants. You're going to use these heating pads or ice packs. And then maybe over a couple of days, things are going to feel better. 
And when I treat pain, not every time, but often they'll feel better right away, like within just a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so just letting people know that that is an option, that is a possibility. And I'm not saying every time, but, you know, especially for acute issues can be very effective for that. Um, I really like treating women's health um, because, as we were talking about before, um, I don't feel like Western medicine does enough um, to, um, to let women know, yeah, that, that they don't have to be in pain, that they don't have to be miserable. I definitely have patients come in that are like, oh, I have one good week out of the month um, because their cycles are so um, imbalanced. And so I, treating that's very um, enjoyable to see women, you know, get their their life back to see that they don't have to suffer that much that they can you know do things about that themselves and it doesn't require being drunk up to do it I love that. um and digestion i really enjoy yeah. treating digestion because it's hard you know if you eat and you're in pain like that's your whole life like you know you can't get away from needing to eat uh, so, you know, you can't live on juice fast forever. Sooner or later, you have to get food in your system. And so helping somebody to um, be able to eat in a comfortable way, it's life-changing as well. So, and, and as I mentioned before, that's kind of the centerpiece of our health. So if you're, if you're not, if you don't have comfortable digestion, like you, once again, speaking to the idea that discomfort in Western medicine is sometimes normal, when you eat, you should feel satisfied and there should be no discomfort. Like, bloating isn't normal. That's a pathology. You know, chronic gas or belching after you eat, nausea, um, you know, being full before you're satiated. These are not things that are in harmony. Like these are not things that are conducive to living well. So you want to see if you can address them. I love that. I love that. A ray of hope in America. That's that's, (laughs) That's really neat. All of your philosophy is just really beautiful and yeah, I'm here for it. Did you want to ask your question about pain? Oh, I yeah. I know this was on your mind. Oh, yes, yes, Because yes. I'm sure now Kay is like, oh my gosh, acupuncture is everything and I want to go get acupuncture. But I know, but yes, but I am like a big needle scaredy cat. So um, mm-hmm. is it painful? And then you said if some people have too much stress from it, then maybe you won't. But yes, tell us yeah. if it's painful. Yeah. yeah, so acupuncture is just one tool in my tool belt. So if somebody is like, freaked out like they really don't want the needles yeah there's other things i can do there's you know washa is a scraping technique i use to help muscles relax moxibustion is where you burn small amounts of an herbal material moxa mugwort on the body very effective um you can use acupressure i'm in the process of learning about stimulating needle uh acupressure points with um uh, flower essences and essential oils there's lots of things you can do um but Also, I encourage people to at least try it because most of the time, most of my patients, my new patients have never had acupuncture before because it's just not as common in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And so what most people find is like when I put the first needle in, they don't even notice. Like, I'll be like, oh, it's in. And I'm like, yeah, yep, it's in. I'm like, "Um, so it's the needles are much thinner. My needles are around 32, 36, 34 gauge um, needles and hypodermics are usually 16 to 18 gauge needles. Mm -hmm. And so the needles I use are half the width, if not smaller than a Western needle. Um, Also hypodermic needles are beveled, which means they're cut at an angle because they're designed to cut through tissue. Mm -hmm. My needles are technically rounded on the end because they're designed to push through. They are kind of push things aside. They don't want to cut through anyways, which is why when you remove the needle, there's very rarely blood, sometimes, not often. So 
And as I mentioned before, I'm needle sensitive. So like, I don't want to create discomfort in my patients. So knowing that I use smaller needles um, and I have found over the years, the more focused I am on the point, like I focus on my breathing, I focus on my intention, I focus on, you know, the insertion of the needle, it's not as uncomfortable for my patients. If I'm too busy chatting, um, I love to talk to my patients. So if I get distracted and I'm chatting with my patient, invariably it's an uncomfortable insertion. So I have to be, as a practitioner, it's my responsibility to keep my focus on what I'm doing on the needle. And that's going to be a more comfortable insertion. So I rarely have a patient who can't tolerate needles if, you know, if there isn't a health reason for them not to. Um, but if they don't want, then I honor that. And then I find a way to work around it. But on the whole, once you have an insertion, once you feel it, you realize it's just not what you thought it was. It's not that uncomfortable. When it's not as bad as your fear of it, <laughs> like the fear is bigger than the, the Yeah, I mean, from my own experience, most of the time I can't even feel the needles going in. And then once they are in, I definitely don't feel them. Wow. And the thing Alice always tells me is if you feel needle or if it's still painful, you have to tell me because that means it's not incorrectly. So when I'm laying there for 15 or 20 minutes, it's not like I feel like I'm full of needles. I just feel totally relaxed and mm. laying down. So you don't feel yeah. any of it. And I rarely feel them going in or out. So, I mean, every once in a while, there's one that's painful. And I think it depends on how irritated the area is yeah. and maybe how much that area had already like stagnated and needed to be released. Sometimes I feel like those areas that are really stagnated that really needed that chi released almost like I feel them a little bit more. But a lot of the time I don't feel it at all and it's not painful and I'm not laying there in pain in, in needles, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> So I should though say that that's different from practitioner to practitioner. Mm. So um, the chi sensation is mean it means catching the chi. It means um, that you've caught the chi and it's moving. And in China, they believe that if you don't get that chi sensation on every point, that it's not an effective treatment. Um, mm. So if you go to a, like a Chinese trained practitioner, um, they will often use larger needles, needles with stronger stimulation, um, and. Some people find they like that sensation. I have found most Americans find that as uncomfortable. Mm. I personally feel it as an ache. I don't love it. Um, but it's not that it isn't effective. It's just different. Mm. Um, and so to be aware of that, like different practitioners have different um, ideas about that. And then Japanese trained practitioners are in Japan. They believe that the practitioner is supposed to feel the dachi sensation and that the patient isn't supposed to feel anything at all. And if they do, that's not good. That, that's disrupting their energy. So there's different viewpoints on that, just for your um, folks to be aware that depending on how someone was trained in their own personal experience, it depends on how the treatment's going to feel. Mm -hmm. mm, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. That sort of leads to um, the question, is there a database of acupuncture professionals or anything like that, that someone can search to find a trained acupuncturist near them, or is Google their best bet? Yeah, unfortunately, it can be kind of hit or miss. So okay. I, when, I ha when I'm when i researching for patients, they'll often ask me if they're moving or if they have family members or friends elsewhere, they'll ask me for recommendations. I always start at the NCCAOM um, website. That's our national certifying board. Okay. Um, it's the National Certification Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. Right. Um, so NCCAOM.org okay. uh, has a um, practitioner uh, search engine. So you have to, almost every state in the union 
um, you have to have a diplomat certification through the NCCAOM in order to get your license. So they have a database then of everybody that has an NCCAOM certification and you can search it, okay. um, you know, and you can search it by um, zip code or city and then you can search it either certification because um, you can get certified. You can have an oral medicine certification, which includes herbs and acupuncture. You can have just the acupuncture. There's a body work one. Um, so and just as a side note, so that uses oral medicine. There's a lot of controversy in the Chinese medicine community about what to call it. So mm -hmm. oriental medicine, or I don't know if you're familiar, but the word orient is very um, Eurocentric. So it's the idea, it's east of Europe, mm. um, you know, with Occident is west. And so it's very Eurocentric. So it's not considered a very PC term anymore in the Asian community. So oftentimes you'll see Chinese medicine referred to as Asian medicine. So there's a lot of um, controversy right now over what we need to call ourselves because it's not just Chinese. There, Japan has traditional medicine, China, um, Taiwan, uh, you know, so there's, all those Eastern Asian countries have their own flavor of traditional medicine. And so just to be aware of that, so you'll yeah, see it listed under different, different names. And yes. to be TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, is a very specific form of Chinese medicine mm. that was designated by the Communist Party in 1949. Oh. As a little like extra nerdy trivia. Interesting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we love the nerdy trivia, so that's perfect. Good. And then as far as getting a hold of you, Alice, how can we get a hold of you on, on the web pages? Sure. Um, I have a website at twigandneedle.com. It's incredibly out of date and retro <laughs> at this point, but it works <laughs> functions. Um, so my phone number and email are there. Email is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, I, I have obviously a landline and voicemail, but I just don't check it as often as I check my email. Mm -hmm. um, so there's information there. Um, you can also, to schedule an initial appointment, you need to contact me directly. And then there's online scheduling after that. Oh, awesome. Good. And are you taking new patients at this time? I am taking new patients right now. Yes. Awesome. So wait, for anybody who's in the local Iowa City, yes. Washington County, all that area, yes. <laughs> whether you're in Cedar Rapids or Iowa City or North Liberty, Alice is an amazing resource. I highly recommend her. So if you have gained some interest in acupuncture today from what you've heard in your local, definitely reach out and contact her because yes, she is. I could not say enough about how much she's helped me and my health and my overall well-being. So definitely recommend you at least give it a try. Yep. I love it. Well, you are just like so knowledgeable and so smart and so helping and helpful to people and in a way that does feel like light and love, which is really cool and something that we support. And anyone that gets people back to feeling at ease, we're here for. So that's right. Yeah. So good talking with you this morning. And thank you so much, Alice. And yeah. Any parting thoughts or anything we didn't cover that you just want to mention or? Um, it's winter outside. Keep your neck covered. Chinese medicine, they believe colds come in through the back of the neck. So keep your neck covered. And yeah, okay. don't eat salads in the middle of the winter. <laughs> yes, okay. this is a permission to this. not eat salads. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's well, thank awesome. you so much, Alice. We really appreciate your time. I, you, like Kay said, you're such a wealth of knowledge. And I'm so excited for our listeners to have access to this information because <laughs> I'm all about not people not having to live in chronic pain and chronic discomfort and that those things aren't normal and that there are things you can do about it. Yeah. You know, whether it's in addition to 
Western medicine or complementary with however you want to pursue it. I just know there's better ways to do things than most people are aware of. So yes, if you are in pain, you can be out of pain. You can in, be pain-free. You can be pain-free and that is normal. So anyway, yep. I just love sharing resources like yourself, Alice, with our listeners because I want people to know that mm-hmm. they can thrive. It's not just about living longer yep. and slowly deteriorating. You can thrive yep. through every year of your life. Yep. So anyway. and we have help here for you. So perfect yeah, with Alice so and all of our listeners. So. Thank you so much, Alice. Yeah, thank you. And for our listeners, go be renegades. Go be renegades. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information. The content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be renegades. Go be renegades.